Welcome back, everybody. Hey, you're back with the Prefer Not to Say podcast. I'm Boutique Paul. And I am Daddy Master Senpai. Hope you guys are, you know, enjoying lockdown still because it's mm-hmm. still going on. Mm-hmm. I unfortunately am returning to work tomorrow as of the day we're recording this. It's Sunday. So, you know, tomorrow's Monday. I got called back on a Friday. Back yeah. to being essential, but without the hazard pay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'll probably be adjusted because by the time this comes out, I'll have already been a week and a half in back into work. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got another fun episode for you today. This episode is titled an episode about CBD, but not the kind you're thinking. <laughs> We're actually going to be talking about one of my favorite recording artists, uh, Count Base D, who is also known. He's actually known by a few names. Count Base D is his main title. He's also known as Dwight Spitz and also known as the rapper with the most chords. And we will get into why that name is significant. A man with many episode. names. Yeah, a man like with many names. <laughs> <laughs> a man with many identities. <laughs> now, I want to do this because it's um, mainly because I wanted to do a profile on someone who I think to be successful and I look up to. But it's also an opportunity to talk about somebody of significance when we're not able to do interviews right now because mm-hmm. you know we had interviews planned but we couldn't do them because you know quarantine yeah so <laughs> hashtag social distancing <laughs> yeah so we can't really get anybody around for the interviews obviously so i mean we get to do pseudo interviews yeah not even pseudo interviews this mm-hmm. is this is really just like an appreciation and awareness pod mm-hmm. like as much as we're gonna like talk about him in a little bit of detail i just want to I just want to tell everybody who one of my favorite artists is. Plus, it's also uh, I get to introduce Greg to something that he's not familiar with. And, you know, it's always fun when he reacts to things that I like, because it's always a it's always mm-hmm. a fun time can, given how he consumes. It's never material. it's never a predictable response. Yeah, it's never predictable. <laughs> it's, <laughs> oh, it's always fascinating. So, uh, yeah, uh, this first section, we're going to kind of talk about um, his kind of like beginnings in life and navigating music and his you know first deals, first few records. And so, yeah, um, yeah, the man was born uh, Dwight Conroy or Conroy Farrell, which is a very interesting name. Like that just sounds that sounds official. <laughs> That's a name for the history books. Dwight He's, Conroy Farrell. He sounds like his birth was planned. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh, no, he sounds like a significant person in history, like Dwight mm. General Dwight Conroy Farrell. Mm-hmm. He, de- he definitely that name definitely has like a, a Winston Churchill vibe, you know? Yeah. And, you know, as a was, kid, he was a. Uh, it's a name of somebody that's going to be significant. <laughs> name of somebody who's going to be somebody. <laughs> Just like we all want to be. Yeah, uh, you know, he had a normal upbringing as we all do. As, you know, we're born. You know, he was raised in uh, the Bronx in Canton, Ohio. I, wait, he was born? I assumed that he was like one of those immaculate conception situations. <laughs> Just kind he of might appeared. as well be. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, kid growing up, uh, his dad was a, a preacher, so that's that that was that influenced a lot of his upbringing, and uh, that's actually where he got a lot of his musical interest because you know where the church kind of drew him was you know the music, you know the hymns and you know, the organ, obviously a main staple in the church, and you know that's kind of how he got to start playing. His dad was a traveling preacher, actually, he preached at many congregations, and he would join them, you know playing organ behind him you know he learned basic scales and triads to play chords so that's where he got to start and you know as you know as a kid born in the 70s obviously he grew up you know eventually got into hip-hop and just like every other story it's like you know he was listening to the old school cats like you know run dmc and all mm-hmm. them you know but he's got boom boxes and cassette tapes 
And yeah. And then once he got to high school, he ended up going to a boarding school. Actually, I don't, I don't know if, I don't remember if it was clarified how, what years he went, but he, yeah, he did, ended up going to school for boarding school and he was learning classical music, which was very different than the hip hop he was growing to love. And he was, you know, playing, he actually went on trips overseas in European countries to play classical music. Wow. Which, yeah, it's not, not the normal <laughs> high school that we all endured. He got to go do really cool things. Where was my European fucking classical music trip? <laughs> What the hell? Right, we were, we were playing professionally, and mm. you know, <laughs> getting exposed to cultures that you would never <laughs> believe about, you know, beyond your wildest dreams. And yeah, um, and then when he was a teenager uh, for his birthday. I don't remember if it was his 16th or 17th birthday. Uh, his brother asked what he, his brother asked what he wanted. He wanted studio time, so he got him a little bit of studio time. And uh, I think his parents had settled in Florida at this point. So, and he ended up. In Tampa, he actually ended up working with uh, what he described, who he described, uh, this guy, Kenny K, which we actually learned this in. Uh, he was recently featured in uh, Super Duty Tough Work with Blueprint. And he's, you know, that's actually one of the things we watched to prime for this episode. And he said that uh, Kenny K was a satellite member of uh, Digital Underground. And most hip hop people know who Digital Underground is. But for those who don't know, they're the guys who do the song The Humpty Dance. I don't even know that song. You don't know that song? Not, not by name. Not I'll by play name. it for you that's, later. You'll that's recognize how it is with it. 90% of music, you'll, though. You you'll, know it's you'll, like, you'll instantly recognize it. But you remember yeah, this song, he, um, right? No? No, sing And that was his it. introduction. He actually, uh, he's like, oh, well, have you done hip hop? And he's like, as a matter of fact, as he, like, and this is how he described it, he pulls out the two inch reels to uh, Freaks of the Industry, which is one of their like big singles back in the day. And that just blew his mind. And I, I don't even think it had come out yet. So, like, he had heard that and he was like, all right, we can work. And then, uh, you know, eventually post high school, he ends up going to hold on. Which school was it? Middle Tennessee State University. Yeah. So, yeah, at this point, you know, he was in. Yeah, he was in Tennessee. And during this time, he actually got to use the school for their instruments and record a demo. This man finessed a university to yeah to, to, to start to jumpstart his music career. And he actually had a he had a collaborator. I've I've never actually heard. I don't know if it was it wasn't anybody significant. It wasn't anybody he's actually named at least not in this interview. But uh, he had worked with somebody who was like helping him produce the demo. And I think it, I think it was like you know it was kind of like a combination of reg- traditional hip hop stuff and using his musicality. So he was playing you know because he's he's a he's a piano player. So he's like playing instruments. I think he knew bass also, and uh, he. He he does play he did play drums back then too, and uh, they made this demo and it got the attention of. He actually got signed to a record label called Hoppo Records, which was started by uh, Pete Nice of Third Base, which is a older hip hop group from the night like early nineties. They were big back then, and that was actually an offshoot. It was a division of Sony Records, so he gets signed there, and. So he basically has a major label deal. And, you know, he's like, I think it was like 19 at the time, maybe 19 turning 20. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he got a deal, left college. Oh, yeah. Instantly. Instantly. I mean, you get a record <laughs> deal. You're yeah. like, oh, I'm leaving college. <laughs> <laughs> Early 20s, late teenagers. You know, you get that the record deal. You're like, all right, I made it. I can just quit all this other stuff. Just jump right into it. Yeah. And and the and the producer he was he worked with on the demo at the time wasn't available so he literally did the entire album with live instruments just playing like he didn't know how to use samplers he he programmed a I think 80 Roland TR808 drum machine as his click track to play with but he literally like played drums 
played bass, electric keyboard, acoustic keyboard. And then he had, you know, people, you know, dub over, do overdubs like guitar and, and horns and stuff like that. And then when he turned it in, they were like, what is this? This sounds nothing like your demo. <laughs> Classic. You know, he's like, he didn't know how to do the stuff that his, you know, collaborator did. So he's like, all right, I'll just play the entire thing myself, which was unheard of at the time. You know, I mean, nowadays it's a lot more relevant, but back then, you know, hip hop had maybe some live instruments, but it wasn't like you did an entire record that way. So he definitely set a trend. Yeah. Well, he, he's, he set a trend that went unnoticed because <laughs> he was under the radar for the most part. Yeah, and he just, it was the typical, uh, oh, his also look also changed. He described it, he had, you know, braids and his hair was crazy and, you know, he just wore normal clothes. And then he gets paid by Sony and, you know, he's wearing like, he, he went out, bought fly clothes, got a haircut, looking good. And then they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't what we bought. <laughs> yeah, it's a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, that's... That's how most things go for the most part. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's not really like it was a malicious bait and switch. It was just like he had the, the funds to do what he was he could, planning he, he, to do. He couldn't afford a haircut. And now he could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Who are you? You're a different person. I can afford to like take care of myself now. What do you mean? Right. It almost makes you question. It's like, it's like, do you want me looking grungy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, man. It's relatable. It'll sell. <laughs> yeah. So this was, uh, this was 94 when he was signed and the album didn't come out till late i think fourth quarter of 95 and it was the album pre-life crisis which you know for the time was really ahead of its time and he was playing so many live instruments you know he was getting good decent reviews critically but sony didn't know how to market him because of the sound it wasn't Mm -hmm. like the traditional hip-hop of the 90s and yeah he says he actually got shuffled between multiple labels under the sony branch and then uh one i think it was called work was the one who actually ended up putting the record out. And then, you know, that comes out and then he ends up after it's released, he gets dropped from the label because they didn't know, you know, they, they thought it, it was a bait, you know, they got bait and switched unintentionally mm-hmm. and they dropped him because they didn't know what to do with it. You're like, ah, oh, it's not commercial. There's no hits on here. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't, isn't, he didn't uh, make something that would have just, you know, sold out immediately and just it had instant return on their investment. Yeah, this is the more like the artistic mm-hmm. record. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's kind of something that happens to a lot of artists. You know, there are some artists you know sign to get dropped. Some artists that just get shelved completely because they're like, nah, we're not feeling this. Mm-hmm. Or there's just you know something happens on a professional level, like you know maybe some divisions get shut down, some get collapsed into each other. I mean that that's what kind of happened when the the big four record labels became the big three record labels because mm-hmm. there's always like absorption of different record labels and there you no know, some divisions get shut down artists get shuffled around there's some people who get signed who got signed before all this stuff happened and then just got lost in the shuffle because bigger art bigger the consolidation meant like the priority went to all the bigger artists you know less labels the more bigger artists d- between these labels they're mm-hmm. all going to get the attention that you know the smaller people they're still developing don't really get it's Hmm. I was trying to think of something that I could relate it to, but I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost like doing, it's, it's almost like when a company, it's like a business merger that causes layoffs. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was going to get to. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate. And then, uh, yeah, he said he, after that, he took a job at a dry cleaners. 
<laughs> Which I mean, I guess record label to dry cleaners. I guess that's a logical step. Yeah. I mean, but you know, gotta work, right? Gotta do what you gotta do. Bills still gotta get paid. And then, uh, what was it? He said that uh, was it his manager or got a hold of somebody? Uh, we just watched it too. I don't know why I'm forgetting this. He said that he got a, offered a, a couple five figures to do yeah. another record. He just I, he quit. <laughs> I like the specific phrasing he chose. He said a couple five figures. You know, my 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 mind's going all right. Well, so what you is, at least get twenty thousand. First off, what's five figures? Okay, that's at least ten thousand. Then then he's like a couple five figures. Nobody says a couple when they mean two. They just said two. So it's at least thirty thousand or more that they just slid him out of nowhere. <laughs> It's like at the minimum 20K. Mm-hmm. He's just like, all right, I quit the job. I don't even think he, I don't think he gave a two week notice. Just peaced out. I mean, mm-hmm. if I got big money, I mean, I'd probably put a month notice to be nice, but. I don't know about a month. I, I usually give more than two weeks, depending on the place, just because it's. You know, I think one place I might have given a week. I think Sears might have been a week. Yeah, I mean it's Sears. <laughs> well, I was, I was working, well, I was working the job I work now and that one. I usually. Mm-hmm. When I leave jobs, I phase into the other job. I work both for like a week or two before mm-hmm. I do the complete transfer, if the schedule allows it. So yeah, and then uh, he makes his next record, Art for Sale, which is really different from the last one because he's he's still playing live instruments. I mean, there's a little bit more programming, I think, with like synthesizers and stuff like that. But this record, he sings for like 95% of the record. There's like maybe raps here or there. And I don't even think the initial release did. I think... Uh, I don't know, because the version I always listen to is it says there's four bonus tracks. I don't know if that was part of a re-release. I'd have to go back and look at the release history. But there's there was I remember one song having rapping on it, just just rapping and the rest was just singing. And it's like, <laughs> oh, you were like, oh, I'm a rapper. to Hey, I can sing and be really musical now. Mm. It just doesn't show like he's always ahead of his time. It seems like in his early stages, like his first record in pre-life crisis, he always says ninety five. When he when he recorded it in ninety four, oh, he's like he's like I know it's ninety four, but it's ninety five for me because I'm always <laughs> ahead of everybody. <laughs> I think he's just he just uh, has this, has this weird uh, he's out of sync with uh, with the timeline basically. Like I feel like he, well, he's, he's, he yeah should, just should should have just been born a little later. You know that's all it would have took. It's, <laughs> and then he would have been like on well, on key. For well, it's everything crazy because the retrospective praise for the for those first two records is amazing because everybody's like, "Oh, this stuff is amazing." And he's like, "That's what I was saying the whole time." It it just it just took a while, you know. A lot of and he said it's coming from a lot of his younger fans too that like these records. And it's like, yeah, because we grew up in a time where it's you're allowed to be musical and it's mm-hmm. cool. I mean, you know, we we kind of grew up in the apex of like, hey, let's blend multiple styles together. Mm, let's let's try some of this. Let's try some of that. It's a lot less rigid, more fluid. Yeah, actually, it's funny because um, the first song on the record is a, uh, <laughs> it's titled "Art for Sale," and it said, "Uh, <laughs> those first lines are um." He starts saying art for sale and he says, my record company is jerking me in a million ways I couldn't see mm-hmm. or some. I, I'm obviously paraphrasing that, but I was like, man, you tell that's a song about being dropped from Sony. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, he just got dropped. Like, oh, yeah, this record label suck, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least the majors. Yeah. Full disclosure. Uh, Greg has not listened to either of these albums. Nope. <laughs> he has a vast catalog and I wasn't going to torture Greg with that because <laughs> he would have gone crazy listening to. I, I can't <laughs> listen to someone's entire discography. At least not his. Not- he he has ten solo albums with mm-hmm. vocals, and that's just those albums. Yeah, it's, He's it's, got a lot of other music too. It's not just the stuff that's relevant for like the show. It's it's all music in general. I cannot listen to anybody's entire discography. Period. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like you, this is this is one you'll have to just like, oh, maybe I'll listen a little bit here and there and mm. here and there just to get it because his, his stuff is there's such a, a wide variety of stuff he has. Yeah, so yeah, he puts that out and uh, that one didn't. It wasn't even really very received in any sense. It was it wasn't a record. He he even described as like he's tried. He said he tried selling it for five dollars for a period of time and it still wouldn't sell. And then years later, people were like, that record was amazing. Did you really do all these instruments and all that? He's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once again, being ahead of your time, like he would have been perfect to be coming up now. <laughs> yeah. If, if 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 he if he came out of the woodworks today and was like, yeah, I do all my stuff like live recordings, you know, like I do all my own instruments. I, I, I'm my own producer. All this people would have lost their fucking minds. I'm like, yo, this dude is uh, a new a new icon for the independent like musician. Well, it's really he he op- he kind of operated on that Prince logic. Play everything yourself. Mm-hmm. Maybe bring in extra people if necessary. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that was uh, let's see. Pre-life crisis was ninety five. If I have that correctly, <laughs> I really hope that's correct. I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm just like, I always have this fear, like maybe he's actually going to hear this and like be like, hey, so I got some notes for you on stuff you said wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, I just looked it up. It's 95. So 95. Art for Sale is 97. And then, you know, there's kind of a there's actually a little bit of a wider gap between uh, studio albums just because it's kind of like. I don't know the, the the period after that was kind of like a I don't know change in direction for him when he started from when he started because like you know he got dropped from major label was on an indie label put out a record that he was really confident in and loved and then it wasn't really received in any sort of sense and so it's like you know I don't know it's it's kind of one of those things it's like where do you, where do you go from there I don't know if you if you like like if you personally like you put out things you were really proud of and they weren't received it's like where do you think your headspace would be. I'd keep releasing the stuff that I'm proud of personally, but I'm like, I'm hella stubborn. So like, you you always have to prove people wrong. mm, I mean, he kind of has that mentality. Like he displayed in the interview. Like he, he had this thing to prove, like I'm an artist. Like I always look back at like, you know, famous painters, you know, that weren't very well received in their time. But then like all these years later, they're long since dead. And everybody's like, oh, this is classical, amazing artwork that wasn't appreciated back then, all this stuff. And I'm like, well, worst case scenario, like 100 years from now, somebody's going to look back on the stuff that I'm putting out and be like, yo, this dude was great. Why didn't they appreciate him? Oh, yeah. So I'm not really worried about it. Right. You're just like, I'm going to I'm going to do this still. When I make something to put it out there, the goal is to put it out there. I don't really care if it explodes. That makes sense. Yeah. And then uh, along this time, it's like, you know, he's getting. Uh, I mean, some people are taking notice professionally. He did. He did do a couple of uh, guest spot vocals on a couple different artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was also contacted uh, an A&R for Grand Royal Records, which was owned by the BC Boys, hit him up to do a remix of the song. Hey, ladies mm-hmm. for their uh, video anthology they were doing for um, Criterion Collection. And that is by far my favorite remix in history. I think I actually, I, I think I played it for you once. I if, think we were like if, driving or something. If you did, like I don't remember. I know you don't remember it. I don't remember it's anything. A, <laughs> right? No, it's, it's definitely great though. It's because it takes a song. It's like, Hey ladies is very like, it's got that really like funky beat going on. This one is just like this weird, like bouncy jazzy, almost really mm-hmm. upbeat kind of instrumental. And it almost improves the song mainly because it's like making music to already recorded vocals. It's like, you can kind of play up. It's like they recorded vocals or they wrote recorded vocals to the music. He's making music around the vocals. 
I don't know. It's just it's just really interesting how it turned out. And uh, you know, I think I think it was like late nineties. No, it wasn't late. It was like early early two thousands. So probably two thousand maybe two thousand two thousand one. He ends up getting um, he ends up forming a friendship with a MF Doom. And anybody who likes independent hip hop knows MF Doom is one of the most revered artists of the 21st century. I mean, very just in the way he operates. I mean, we honestly, we could do a whole episode about Doom one of these days because just there's almost this mythos behind him because of how it's like abstract and enigmatic he is. But he said that was a shift. And then around that time, he was also bought a couple samplers because he wanted to do sample based music. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he hadn't done it up to that point. He just knew like play instruments. Then he started teaching himself how to sample. And then, oh, around that time, uh, this one, hard disk recorders also came out. So, you know, a hard disk multi-track recorder. It's just, it's basically a studio in a box. It's a, it looks like a, you know, it looks like a mixing board. It's got faders and knobs, but there's also a screen and there's a hard disk. So you get a hard drive and they weren't that big back then. Actually, most of them didn't even have hard drives. You had to actually use zip drives. Oh, wow. Yeah, they had zip drives. <laughs> so you, got, you get your zip disk and you put it in and <laughs> you could maybe put a song on a, a whole song, multiple tracks on a zip disk. Rest in peace. <laughs> Oof. Uh, eventually, they started coming up with ones that had CD, uh, CDR recorders on there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was uh, I think it was the Roland VS 1680. And then from there, it was like, you know, that's almost low to no cost. You buy that. You don't have to pay for studio time. You got to buy what? Discs for storage. And then so he's, he, he started recording the songs that would become his, you know, probably most n- most talked about album, Dwight Spitz. And it's and it's actually kind of interesting because it's like there's a, it's a, it's a it's an album of all these short songs. There's like 20 something songs in the album. But it's just, you know, him is like, you know, he kind of he has kind of a quirky production style because he uses, you know, he's a bit out there when he picks samples. But, yeah, this is the episode where he wasn't really taken serious in the hip hop community. So he wanted to, you know, do something that would really, really shut that opinion down about him or shut down that opinion about him. So he comes out, it's like crazy beats and just dropping bars. Just it's, it's pretty crazy. It, it was one of my favorite albums for the longest time. It still is. And uh, he also has a couple appearances from doom because they, they had recorded stuff together. He, uh, Cowboys, mm-hmm. he actually did a song with doom for his album, uh, mm, food. Cause doom is weird and does concept albums that are really abstract. Like it's mostly albums about food or there's like, <laughs> or there's like food titles or food <laughs> references. It's weird. It's really weird, but he has a song called pot holders with him. <laughs> Wow. It's yeah. <laughs> I listen to some really interesting stuff. But yeah, he said that um working with Doom kind of changed the way he worked and the way he kind of viewed things. And that album really is what got a lot of people's attention and his collaborations with Doom. And it really opened up a new space, especially because it was, you know, independently. I don't remember, I think it was released on a couple different labels. But yeah, this is this was his foray into being like an independent artist in the early 2000s, which, you know, starting in the late 90s, independent hip hop was really a driving force in the music scene because it came out of nowhere. Once everybody realized like, oh, we can cut out the middleman. We, you know, there's distribution companies we can go to ourselves without a big label. We can mm-hmm. be our own label. And that just opened up a whole scope of really interesting because everybody can make what they want. And that's the thing I like about Count Base D is he he's always been able to put out whatever he wants. Yeah, you don't have a production label out here telling you no, we need more of this type of music because this is what's going to sell. Yeah, we you need, don't have an A and R breathing down your neck. Yeah, we need we need this type of uh, sound coming out of you because we need to get ours off of uh, us supplying all the stuff for you, where you can just cut them out and be like, I supplied my own shit. 
I, I basically built my own studio, so I'm gonna make my own sound. Yeah, and you know, Dwight Spitz kind of, you know, it, it definitely was a, it was a, it was a, it was a good shift because, like, from then on, it just got even more interesting. Now we're gonna cut the history of lesson a little bit short because I want to <laughs> kind of ask a couple of questions of you. So, when you first heard the name Count Base D, what did you first think, given how you look at things and how interesting that name is? <laughs> Let's see. Uh... Count Base D. The first thing that went to my head was uh, the Count from uh, Sesame Street, <laughs> right? But like, but like mixed with Count Chocula because you're because I went going into it knew I was like, oh, this is about a hip uh, guy from the uh, hip hop industry, and I was like, uh, I don't know anything about this person, but I'm just gonna guess that he's black because he is. But, I mean, you could go step first or go black. There's a black exploitation film called Blackula. I mean, I wasn't going to go like into that. You're not going to go. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I was like, I was like, oh, basically, I mean, my, in a roundabout way, I got there. I got to Blackula. You I got to like, Blackula? Count, <laughs> is, is, is count. Okay, the Count from Sesame Street. The Count Base D. And I was like, mm, hip hop. He's, he's going to be a black he, vampire. He's black. Chocolate. Count Chocula. <laughs> That's kind of where my mind went. <laughs> you want to go stereotype? Blackula. <laughs> and side note, his, because he has a memoji that is a black vampire. Oh, nice. <laughs> Nice, but yeah, that's that's where my mind went immediately. Like as soon as Hold I heard the name one. Count Base D, my brain was like, "Oh yeah, straight to Chocula." But um, I don't know when when I heard it, I was like, "This is uh, this is kind of on uh, on brand for like uh, my friends that that introduced me to more independent hip hop artists for it being like different." Like I mean. The independent hip hop uh, industry, at least I see the people that uh, that come up with these weird names like Count Base D or like MF Doom or like Aesop Rock. It's like it's, that's that's not stuff that I'm going to hear from like mainstream, mainstream people. Yeah, it's like Drake. So, oh, OK, oh, and that, that's like, his middle name. Right. <laughs> it's like that's not very inventive. These people are creating whole monikers and stuff. It's, they're, they're creating these like identities. identities. This is their daddy um, master senpai. <laughs> yeah. and I, actually, before I get into how he came up with the name, this is the uh, this is the cover for his um instrumental project he released in late 2019 edibles yeah it's fucking black <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's his uh his bemoji is just literally like a black vampire that looks like this i think this was drawn based on that and he'll he puts mm. it for everything like <laughs> he'll he'll use it he'll use it if he's talking about himself in the third person mm. like if, if instead of saying oh the count does this he'll put that and then just have a statement that <laughs> references him it's great i Dude, following him on Instagram is one of the best decisions I've ever made well, on social media. <laughs> right on the fucking money with the name. I thought of exactly what the intent was, apparently. <laughs> and I, I think this is after the fact because uh, mm. or this obviously was after the fact. Mm. He's like, count. Hmm, let's do vampire. But the way he described it, he was a um, big um, fan of jazz artist Count Basie. Oh, so there's, yeah, there's jazz artist Count Basie. It's spelled B-A-S-I-E. And it came about with a conversation with his mom because his mom was kind of asking, like, what do you plan on doing with the music stuff? Because that's what he wanted to do. And he said he wanted to bring the musicality and stuff he was learning with doing piano and all this stuff to hip hop. So he said he wanted to be like Count Basie, but more like Count Bass D. Mm. And then it stuck with him. And then he he goes, uh, actually, I think in the second part of the Super Duty Tucker interview, he goes, he said he used to go by MC, uh, I think it was MC Flame. Because he was performing with a DJ named DJ Smoke. <laughs> and then uh, I think, I don't know if it was when he cut a demo. I think it was when he was cutting a demo or something like that. They were writing on MC Flame. And I guess he told them one time, he's like, hold on, scratch it out. Put Count Base D. And then <laughs> he's just Count Base D ever since. 
And uh, he actually has owned because he owns the domain countbased.com and has owned it since the mid 90s. Wow. Oh, he said he's been using the Internet since like 94. He I think he said. Not bad. Yeah, he's had. Bad. He said he 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 thinks there's a chance he might have been the first rapper to put an email address on the back of his album. Like on pre-life crisis, apparently there's an email address to reach him at. Interesting. Yeah, mm. I mean, yo, he see, it's like, man, he was talking about being ahead of your time. Hmm, own your name as a domain name. <laughs> yeah, so nobody can take it from you. Yeah, and th- that's actually what he operates under now. It's like you know, th- that's kind of like what his label is. It's just like yo, countbased.com works yeah so yeah that's how, that's how he came up with the name and i was like that's such a cool name it's like you know i think it's because it's just multiple syllables and the way it's broken up it's like huh it's like it's like you know you could tell there's inspiration behind it mm-hmm. it didn't just fall out of nowhere yeah and then uh i think what was it uh i had you now nah, well actually i'll actually we'll we'll get back to what you listen to we'll talk about what you listen to because that's it's further down in his discography so we'll mm-hmm. talk about that later uh, actually, I think it's about time we could uh, take a good old water break. Good. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to have some water in you. Yeah. So everybody, you know what to do. And we're back. Mm-hmm. Back at it again. Yep. Back once again. Episode talking about my one of my favorite artists of all time, Count Base D. And before we get started, uh, I pull out my cassette because I'm weird and when people put out cassettes, I like buying them. Mm. Actually, this is the this is a sequel to Edibles because he put out two. This was released before his most recent album. Um, and this is the cover of that. <laughs> okay. It's, it's another vampire pic drawing. <laughs> That's great. I just think, I just I just love how it's like that's how it turned out. Like he's like comes up with the emoji and it's like oh let's just do let's be the count mm-hmm. literally. I mean it works. So yeah, as we uh, talked about in the beginning of the episode, that was uh what I'll call this kind of like first kind of the first stage of his career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we ended with talking about Dwight Spitz, which was one that was very critically acclaimed, and you know it. I mean it wasn't a big seller; it was on an indie label. But probably it probably sold enough at the time for as far as independent music goes. But that's what really kind of kicked off the the next phase of his career, or at least I'll call it. I mean, whether or not count, if you're listening, I apologize if I'm butchering your history. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you just perceive history asynchronously, dude. That's that's how it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's we'll, we'll just explain it like that. So yeah, so he comes out with Dwight Spitz, and then he ends up following with a string of records. I don't think there was a year he didn't put at least one thing out. That's dedication. Yeah, hard work. Well, he um, his next full after that was because like along the way, he put out he put out a couple compilation albums. Like he has this compilation series called Some Music, mm-hmm. and I think there's like six parts to it or something like that. I actually have his discography up. Why am I not looking at? Okay, I'm seeing I'm seeing some music part one through five. I think there might have been another one that might have been part six, but it's not showing here. And uh, those are he did like remixes and, you know, instrumental mm-hmm. compilations. 
So he put out some of those. He put out a few of those between 2004 and 2008. And then, I mean, along then he did, he ended up putting out his next official solo album vocals, Beg, Borrow, Steal. And this kind of expands on the ideas he was playing with on Dwight Spitz. So it's like, you know, Dwight Spitz is full of really interesting samples. Like there's one that has a commercial about sugar. Okay. All right. I'll play that one for you later because it's it's amazing. It's literally just this. Um, it's it's because he he explained it because I asked him on a Q and A, where where did that come from? I was like, this is genius. And he said it was he ended up getting some record, an ad record that like a radio station from back in the day would get, and it was literally just saying like, oh, it's like pure sugar. Uh, un, untampered sugar is is good for you. And even specifically says it's like one one uh, tablespoon of sugar is at least sixteen calories. <laughs> it, it's, it's so weird. Yeah, he he always brings snippets from weird like mm. weird sound bites in his music, and it, and it definitely adds a different kind of layer. He seeks out very uh, obscure samples for his music. Yeah, he's very eclectic, and that's what I like about. It. I've always liked the eclectic people because you know it kind of shows you where their tastes lie. Mm. Like, oh, you 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 like to sit outside the box. To hear this really weird, uh, inauspicious thing over here for like five seconds, you're like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna use that. That's that's got me all over it. Yeah, he's also the only rapper I've heard who actually um <laughs> has. There's a couple, few tracks that have uh, actually not all. I don't think all of them are his songs, but there's a few things with harmonica solos that he ends up sampling. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> he, someone asked him about that once, and he's like, I don't know. They just sort of like they catch my ear sometimes, so I just use them. Mm-hmm. Bando Beg Borrow Seal just kind of operated on that logic of like you know, just really good, just good writing, great production, really interesting samples, and it's just overall a great record. And then he releases another record, uh, Act Your Waist Size, mm-hmm. which was an amazing title because I was like, oh my god, that is that's almost woke to the extreme. <laughs> it's like a what's that? Uh, the act your age, not your shoe size. It's like not act your waist, act your waist size. <laughs> And uh, it's funny because uh, he he was uh, I think thirty two at the time, and his mm-hmm. waistline is thirty two. Oh, okay. so it was, it was it was it was literally it was a literal. <laughs> there was a literal meaning, but also it kind of was like, oh, this makes sense. Okay, and uh, that was actually released on uh, Fat Beats Records, and Fat Beats Records is a legendary company especially within the indie hip hop scene, because they were, they were oftentimes a go-to distributor of independent labels, like independent labels would go them and they would help distribute them. That's actually the label atmosphere and rhyme series entertainment went through them for atmosphere's album. God loves ugly. Mm-hmm. And then that was the first time they were on sound scan. And because they had built a following for like five, six years prior to that, they ended up charting and everybody in the industry was like, who are those guys? We need to talk to them because I'm interested. <laughs> and then they went on to turn down multiple major labels in favor of being independent. That's great. That's, 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 that's integrity. That's, that's integrity <laughs> that, right there. Rhyme Sayers Entertainment, that's... I'd like to do an episode about them one day because their their history is amazing. They're celebrating 25 years this year. 25 years. Yeah, artists are getting that. Are getting the point where these artists that I was listening to in high school are celebrating like 20th and 25th and 30th anniversary. He's like, wow, I'm so glad you guys are all still around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that was just another, um, that was another album that kind of in the vein of what he was doing at the time. I think he started incorporating more synthesizers and drum machines 
and stuff like that. And, you know, every every album, he kind of like, you know, goes back and forth. He he adds a little bit more singing here and there, which which I think I, I like that he does that, you know, just like oh, I'll just do something different. It's not just the same uh, same uh, rap flow over and over and over again. Yeah, he likes to switch it up. And then from there, he uh, releases the album L7, which I finally listened to today because I'm still trying to catch up on his discography. Uh, but it's a L7 midlife crisis. And it's kind of a it's kind of like a sequel to pre-life crisis. Mm-hmm. And it's an awesome record. Great beats, great rhymes, even some spots he's singing. The only thing is the sound quality suffers. And it's noted, and he he explained it in one of his Q and A's. He said the, he turned it in, master, he turned it in, everything was created, and the album was made, it was mastered, and then they sent it off to mastering again. Oh, okay. Because so it's it, over processing. It, right it there. sounds really, it sounds off, but it's it sounds great though. Like mm-hmm. had that not happened, it would have sounded even better. But yeah, that's just you know, <laughs> companies making decisions when they shouldn't mm. be. <laughs> Oh, you created this golden egg for me. Right, well, we're going to polish it a little bit more and reduce it inside. And it's lost its value. Yeah. And the, and then after that, 2009 kind of begins a very prolific streak because he ended up doing a bunch of collaborations with his um, one of his best friends and collaborators, DJ Pocket. Mm-hmm. And from 2009 to 2012, they put out five records. In three years. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. And this one is more like this one is a little more traditional, like kind of the typical. It's kind of more traditional as far as like a hip hop sound. Mm-hmm. And they also and they also like, you know, collaborate with other rappers as well. But and it doesn't stop there. In 2012, he dropped um, five compilation albums of primarily instrumentals. And, a and if, I, if I remember correctly, they're all named after his kids. Oh, OK. That makes sense. Wait, he's got five kids. Yeah, if I remember correctly, he's got five. Oh, interesting. If that's wrong, please correct me, Count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he has kids. Um, yeah, he made he, five. And all of them at the time were being released on his website, like mm-hmm. a, a lot of these projects. Because, you know, there was a point where he just sort of stopped with the labels, unless it was like something he was really into. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of, because uh, I, I even remember his website when he like you know like back in the day like you know looking at it, he had all these releases i was like wow he put out a lot of stuff i think there was another time uh oh yeah in uh 2011 which i still have to listen to it he did um yeah this project the risk takers with um with insight he was uh, featured on i phantom oh he, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't even notice that yeah uh insight uh he was the he was one of the songs the um I can't remember the song name. Why can't I remember that? The one where he's going to the club and he got the cheap beat. Oh, yep. Gotcha, he's on that. Gotcha. And then he's on Iron Helix, that mm-hmm. what back and forth rap that escalates into nuclear war. Mm-hmm. He, Yeah, he he did a project with him. And uh, yeah, he's just very prolific. He just, it, it, it was like he was saying in the Super Duty Tougher interview about you know, building catalog. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of hit me when I realized... That's what a lot of artists do, not intentionally, but just how they work. And it kind of made me think like, yeah, why don't you just build catalog and then people can catch up. It's the digital era. People can it's catch the up. We people can, can listen in on what they want to. You don't have to stay up on the mm-hmm. current times. He even says he's open about how it's he doesn't stay. He doesn't keep with current music. He says there's friends of his who put out records. He hasn't even caught up on their stuff yet. It's mainly because it's that thing where it's like he's creating so much and he's often listening to source material to sample. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't keep up with it. 
it's a lot of time invested to stay like up on everybody's uh that's why it's music. like that's why i used to feel bad like man i really love count i feel like i should be, have been keeping up the whole time but i'm like i was listening to so much stuff back then you mm-hmm. almost can't and the fact that i'm an artist myself it's hard for me to consume now it's it's I, I get the same feeling when like nine times out of ten people uh, recommend music. They're like, hey, you should check out this new dude or you should check out this new album that just dropped or you should get into this stuff. And I'm like, that's that's fine. And I I will like six years, <laughs> six years from now when I have when when the when it's its turn in the queue, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's just that's just the way it works. There's so much other stuff I'm already interested in that I'm not exactly about to put on the back burner to try out this stuff right quick. Yeah, and then throughout the years, um, actually, actually throughout the you know up until 2016, he was still dropping a bunch of compilations. Like he dropped several, dropped several compilations. Like I was into some music, he'd released other compilations of what was it, uh, instrumental stuff? Because you know, obviously, it's like you know, some of them were like limited edition cassettes that he put out. I mean, obviously, all his stuff is available digitally, and like you know, do collaborations, maybe some EPs with people, and then. You know, along the way, he did do two albums in 2011 that were just studio albums that were vocal. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm pretty sure they were. They're ones I haven't listened to yet because I'm still trying to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like him because he has a vast catalog and I have so much stuff like, oh, what's this? It's like something new every day. He, he definitely had this this concept in mind like way back when he, if, he, if he decided, you know, all right, I put this out, but I'm just going to keep making more and more and more and more and more. It's almost like he created a workload for anybody that gets interested in his music. You yeah, know, it's like, oh, man, I like this bit here. And oh, I'm going to dig a little bit further. And what's this? And then, you know, it's two years later and you're only halfway through all the stuff he's got out. Yeah, it's it's just amazing because, you know, there are days where I'll, I'll listen to a lot of his stuff. Like there are some times where I listen to and try to attempt a discography at work and I'm still listening to stuff like, man, I only have eight hours in a day and it's mm-hmm. not enough. <laughs> Apparently not. You know, I also like it because it's. It's almost like the thing of it's like, you know, you do things to keep your mind sharp. It's like you have to keep your skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just doing that, making beats constantly, rapping constantly, collaborating with people constantly. And, you know, obviously it's like he's doing it, a li- doing it for a living. Mm-hmm. You know, because honestly, it's like I don't think there's much of a. You know, I mean, he doesn't go into too in depth of what else he's done job wise, but the only job I've ever heard other than this was the dry cleaning one that he, that he talks about. I'm I'm pretty sure he was done working at that point. Probably was. Yeah. I mean, just all this music and people were buying it, you know, and he's toured with other artists and, you know, he's had all sorts of opportunities presented to him. I remember there was one thing I was, when I was working at guitar center, there was this uh, company tune track and they had this, uh, they have this program easy drummer and it's like a instrument. It's like a VST drummer, mm-hmm. you know, made with real sounds and it's made to sound kind of like a real drummer. And I remember they had, um, artist created sample sets. And I remember seeing his name as one of the names. And I'm like, it's really interesting. The opportunities you can get that aren't just typical. Hey, record this music for me. We'll put it out. Yeah. I mean, that's a trend you're seeing right now. A lot of artists put out sample packs of sounds they use from their album or just sounds they use in general. I think it's really just uh, figuring out a way to create something more out of what you've already like made. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like it's like uh, it's like taking a simple tool and realizing you can use it for thirteen other different things. Yeah, you know, you f- you found a sample. Okay, well, other people could use it. You know, sample packs, uh, or like maybe it's gonna get remixed into something else, or I don't know. But I, I mean, I think it's like using the 
it's using the sound like I have some sample packs using the sounds that your favorite artists use mm. is just something that, you know, before then, you know, because b- before people used to be really stingy about it. They didn't want anybody to know what they were sampling. They didn't want anybody to know what their techniques were. But now we're coming at a time where everybody's like, hey, here, this is how we do it. There's no smoke and mirrors and no you know, distractions like, hey, I'm going to do this. Just don't look. But it's funny because he's very much doesn't work in that way. Mm-hmm. Like he 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 doesn't use any of these new techniques or anything like that. He's he he has his style and he has his way of working. And he he doesn't want to use the stuff everybody else is using. He's like, why would I do that? I would just sound like everybody else. Mm-hmm. That is a that is that is a problem. He's 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 holding fast to his identity as a, as an eccentric individual. Oh, I shouldn't say eccentric. I should, I should say eclectic as far as yeah. like where he pulls his sources from. Yeah, and I I think that's the thing I I really like about him also is. He understood what his lane was and then just went full, full speed. Mm-hmm. You don't get that a lot of time with people. Some people like to keep up with the times and here he is just he's constantly he's constantly five years ahead. of Everybody else, it seems. <laughs> oh, he was he was built for the Internet age. Mm-hmm. Like just the way he works and the way. And it's like I also like see him interact on Instagram because he's on there constantly interacting. People like, you know, if you message him on Instagram, he'll he'll reply. He has I, no problem talking to fans. I, I like the concept of uh, somebody being uh, built for the internet age. I, the way I see it is um, when, when you say someone's built for the internet age, I see it as this person was built for the independent age. You know, yeah. that's, that's, that's how I view it. This, this person was, was, uh, was born. And from the day they were born, it was like, they're not going to accept being like answering to somebody else. You know, they got to be out there doing their thing. It's also, it was like, it was like, he didn't catch up with the internet. The internet caught up with him. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I don't know as much about it, so I can't really, I can't, I can't verify your statement and be like, yes, 100%. But I, some people are just, you know, they're prepared for it without knowing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what he was, especially like, you know, he has a vast catalog. It's perfect for streaming. It's like, oh, streaming services. I have this whole, all this stuff to listen mm-hmm. to. There are some people who just, just tear through it. Constant spins. You know, you almost need to, you almost need a big catalog nowadays. I think Russ is talking about that, how he built up his catalog, but I don't like Russ. I don't even know who that is. Oh, I, I'm not. A, I'm not a Russ fan. If, if any of you are, I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Wait. I know of him through memes, and that's it. All right. <laughs> and that, it's, that and makes it's just sense. people hating on him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not super into like hip hop in general, but like that was that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. Oh, definitely not a Russ fan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've been you know going back and listening to all these projects for the time. It's kind of crazy listening to him because they're so you don't really have that many artists who have so much timeless material mm-hmm. and even they're like what quote end quote dated stuff works now. Like, like I was saying before, he said that he gets a lot of praise for his first couple records from younger fans, but it's the thing where, you know, this marriage of styles that he did back in the day, it went unnoticed there. It's commonplace now. So it's like, it's easier for everyone else to digest. Mm-hmm. You know, hip hop wasn't really looking at count base D like, Oh, he's it especially when he put out art for sale because it wasn't even a rap record. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you're going to be the, the, the hip hop artist who's, who's like, yeah, here's, here's, here's the new, here's a new, uh, new project, new, new album out here. And then everybody listens to it. And it's like, this isn't hip hop. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, years later, it's like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you do more of this? <laughs> Cause y'all told me you hated it. <laughs> It didn't sell. What do you mean? Maybe you should make uh, 
I, I mean, obviously he's still working on stuff like that, but he should do some sort of like callback to it with a new project. Maybe I don't know. He he's mentioned he's mentioned briefly that he's uh, wants to put together a um, album of singing hymns. Because everybody's asked him if he was going to do like a, you know, do like a piano. Like I've mm-hmm. asked him, hey, have you ever considered doing a piano and vocal only album? Just mm-hmm. like, you know, and then he says, he, he flat out says, he's like, he doesn't think about projects like that. He literally just like, he takes it day by day and he lets the project guide itself. But yeah, he's mentioned that he's got, you know, he wants to do kind of like, you know, an album of hymns. And I was like, you know what? That's really interesting. You know, different approach. I mean, I don't know, I'd still listen to it. Not into that, but it's count. So, you know. It's like Prince. I'll listen to anything Prince makes. It's like, I, I have yet to hear. I have yet to hear objectively bad material from Prince as I do with Count. Like I have, I have yet to hear anything objectively bad. There might be stuff you don't really care for, but mm-hmm. you can't say it wasn't well made. You know, he, he, he brings quality every single time. That is, that is great. Quality consistently. Yeah. Quality consistently. I mean, at such a rapid pace, just all the records he put out in such a short amount of time. It's like, man, and you're still coming out with more. You know, he says a lot of times his contemporaries, the big problem was most of them only had a couple records in them anyway. That's where like the flavor of the week kind of happens. You put out a couple records and you got nothing else. He count clearly has more than a couple records in him. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, sometimes he'll put out a few records in a year. <laughs> he's tapped the wellspring. He's, it's like he's got an infinite supply. Yeah. Some people just work like that. And I think, I think it's that. The thing I, I like in it too is I, I like to tell people the if you want to find success, get over yourself. And I think he just he hit that stride. Doesn't matter. He just he he even says he's like I do this to eat. Like it's his job to do mm-hmm. music. It's like he loves music, but it's like it's his job. He treats it like a job. He wants to keep the job day in day out, doing what you got to do to keep it. You know, there was a line, I, th- I think it was in Potholders, he said, I make music every weekend. And there's a line on the new album that says, I make music every day, not just the weekend. And he literally wakes up, makes a beat. He'll post on Instagram sometimes like, yeah, hanging out, making a beat and just like tap pads on his NPC. Mm. <laughs> just, you know. That is that is a steadfast dedication that you don't really see in a lot of newer people. Yeah. And it, I th- and it's also... um it means a lot to the fans when you're like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I love seeing him, how he interacts on Instagram. It's like, man, it's really kind of crazy how, you know, an artist is, it, it, it's him running his own page mm-hmm. and he's, you know, trying his best to communicate with everybody. Like he does Q and A's every single Friday. Answers questions throughout the day. He'll ask, answer whatever you want. There are two things he will not entertain. And he, <laughs> he, he just, he just, he does a swipe up where he sends you a video link to two specific videos explaining his answers for anybody who asks him. Mm-hmm. One of them is asking sample sources. He doesn't do that because he doesn't want anybody snitching on him. Like, have you ever been to the website who sampled.com? No, it's a, it's a, it's a website that catalogs music, who sampled it, who's remixed it. And, it, and it, it's basically six degrees of separation of music. Mm-hmm. And that's gotten some people in trouble because people are like, Oh, this samples this. So then they get hit with a lawsuit. It's it's a giant tattletale website. Yeah, it's like it's great. It's it's great catalog of music history. It's really bad if you're revealing things that weren't official because not everybody clears samples or can afford to clear samples. Mm -hmm. Some people have gotten into some trouble. Like, oh, where do you use that sample? You didn't clear that with us. 
I mean, and you know, a lot of times you can tell, you know, a lot of times in the liner notes of albums of a say, this contains elements of this. So, you know, many artists clear as many samples as they can. As I goes back to like when I uh, had you listen to Paul's Boutique, mm-hmm. they claim the team claims they cleared most of the samples on that album. Granted, it was cheaper and easier back then before the big lawsuits happened. But they, you know, you still try your best to clear them. Once the big lawsuit between with Bismarcky happened, the operative and, word in that was most. They didn't clear all of them. They don't know. I mean, nobody knows for sure. One of them was like, "I'm sure somebody has it written down somewhere." But <laughs> we 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 pretty much try to clear every sample of this record, but no one really knows. Sure. That's there's such a whole crazy history to that album that is just it can never happen again. That's that's the big thing. But yeah. And then the other question is, um, who is Mr. Fantastic? You're not you're, you're look of confusion. I'm going to explain this. Mr. Fantastic is a rapper who appeared on two songs with MF Doom. Mm-hmm. He's never been seen. He has never done anything before or since those collaborations. Every MF Doom fan wants to know who it is doom won't say and everyone most people at some point assume it's count they don't even sound the same but they say they'll be like are you mr fantastic do you know who mr fantastic is and then he made an entire video explaining his entire relationship with doom Mm -hmm. and he he explains how doom works he explains everything that has to do with you know you know just being in his presence and then he ends with it no, I am not Mr. Fantastic. I don't know who he is. If you want to know, ask him, but he's not, he, he just, and he's never telling. <laughs> so he's like, he, he'd be like, are you Mr. Fantastic? I saw one time he was like, check your inbox. And he sent him the link to this video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. Yeah, he's, he's really, and he's not even, um, he's not even sore about it either. He's just like, watch this video that answers your question. And ever since he started putting the ever since the ever since he these recorded um, instances of him explaining these answers, he doesn't get the question anymore. Okay, just because it's like everybody I told him, I was like, hey, how come this isn't a Netflix special? Like, who is Mr. Fantastic? <laughs> like, I've always had this idea. They should do a Netflix show. Who is Mr. Fantastic? Get doomed to agree to reveals at any, but he leaves clues and we have count go searching for him. <laughs> It'd be a hit. <laughs> Oh, just like man. you know it's like oh here are the clues go find them who is the originator of this sound it goes in some giant loop yeah, it's like literally a- two verses too it's like i think i think one of the songs it was kind of like a back and forth thing but it's like two appearances on songs create this whole mystique of who is this person why have we never heard of them or why have we never heard of them in any other context never put out anything else and it's just one of doom's friends he's like talked about him in interviews like oh yeah i go to atlanta uh, i think he's like oh yeah go hang out with mr fantastic you know he's always balling we go to the strip club (laughs) 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 that that was a funny interview i remember when doom was talking about this yeah he's balling we go down there we go to the strip club mr fantastic is his uh his anonymous benefactor (laughs) it's also awesome because he spells it f-a-n-t-i-s-k or i i think it's i-s-k-t or no uh, no F A K F A N T I S K. Mr. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird spelling. No, no, no. Say it again. Say it again one F-A-N-T, more time. F A N T. Oh wait. F A N T 
A S I K. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I can't spell. F A N T. We get it. S T I K. There we go. Anyways, that's what caught my was. brain. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to point it out, but like you said, Mr. Fantastic, and then you start spelling. Out. I was like, "That's that's man, that's fan fantastic." <laughs> oh man, should have written it down on the board. Don't forget how to spell this. Yeah, no, it's it, it's always a fun time in this Q and A because we'll get the typical questions, and then I'll ask like random questions. I remember one time, I there was a period of time where I asked multiple people which pie is best. Wait, what? Yeah, like every now and then people like asking questions about oh, which, yeah. which pie is best. Okay. <laughs> just, just because like I'm not gonna ask the generic question. I mm-hmm. forgot what he said, but it was it was fun. But yeah, anyway, continuing talking about his musical legacy. Um I think to cap off this next phase or what I consider his next phase is uh 2016, he puts out um studio solo album of vocals, um instantly new. And it was kind of a different album compared to his other ones because there weren't samples on it. It was just like drum machine and synthesizer. And it was kind of like a little bit more funkier. And he said that it was kind of like a. He isn't really big on like, I have to play everything. on But at the time, he just sort of did it because it's like something he like. I don't, I don't know if it's like something he had to prove or if it was people were asking for it. But there was just a reason is like he did this record. And then it was, you know, got put out on a I think an album called Thrash Flow. Mm hmm. Which I think he put out a couple other. No, he put out one of his. Uh, he put out one of his. No, he put out a instrumental tape called, uh, I think, Dwight Around Your Lips or something like that. I think that's what the album was called. <laughs> yeah. It's, Interesting. It, it was an instrumental uh, project released on cassette. And then he did. Oh, he did uh, an anniversary deluxe edition of Dwight Spitz that included bonus tracks. Oh, OK. So he did that. I think he also he did a release. I think it was a 20 year release. Yeah, he did a 20th anniversary release of um, Pre-Life Crisis also. So he did a couple of those reissues because, I mean, those were in demand. And I think the Pre-Life Crisis one was on cassette also. Cassettes are coming back. Definitely interesting. Like the instrumental projects, Edibles 1 and 2, mm-hmm. these are only cassette. See, the only cassette or you stream it or download digital. Oh, that sucks. I mean, it's like... And, and it, mean, was a, it was it was a limited run. Available, so it's not that bad. It, it's it, yeah, it's it's not exclusively on cassette. That's really if you do exclusively on cassette, it's literally like this is for the fans that actually care about that kind of stuff. But it's more so like it, it, it's kind of a collector's thing. Mm-hmm. Like he he sold a few copies that were signed also for a little bit higher price. But this is more so it's like he can't justify buying CDs and vinyl for every single release he has. These aren't terribly expensive to press up, and it's like you know. It's it's almost it's easier to sell tapes and vinyl than it is CDs most of the time, which is kind of weird. How? I, <laughs> I don't know. I that's just something I don't I don't get it. I, how is it easier to, to sell vinyl than like a CD? Like a CD you can throw um, in your car. What the, do you do with the vinyl? Uh, well, I mean, you can just plug in your phone to your car. Yeah, that too. But like. Um, it's, it's the perceived superiority of vinyl. Okay. That's what, that's really what it is. Like there are people who prefer it on vinyl. There are also, there's a lot of people who prefer the experience of vinyl. Mm-hmm. It's like putting on a record, seeing the groove, seeing the needle drag along the grooves. There's an experience with it. Instead of just popping in a CD. It's, it's, it's less about when they, when they buy vinyl over CD, it's less about the music and more about the event. 
Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like there's a yeah, it's like an event surrounding. There's a mm. there's a psychology of like putting on a record. Okay. I mean, you're you're but, a person that doesn't you you don't you don't own things for the most part. So it's like, of course, this is going to be like, like my grandparents territory. had a record player and I did the whole thing, like put a record on it, play it and all that. There's nothing, no connection there for me. I'm just like, this is just extra work to get to what I was trying to get at. I mean, you're you're not it, it's built for like more people who are invested in being a music fan. I mean, you enjoy music, but it's like you don't go out of your way to. You know, no. you'd rather just you'd rather just throw up Apple. I mean, this is this, this I mean, that's what that's <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of key in my whole like personality. It's like, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of effort you're putting in there to really like show that you like this person as opposed to just, I don't know, maybe buying their stuff. I, I, think it's, I think it's the time it. it's like, you know, people who enjoy single tasking. It's like, you know, just putting on a record and that's like the thing you do, not trying to do a million things at once. Oh, I, I can't operate like that. That's that's too much focus on one topic for me. Well, yeah, well, don't you need don't you need like I don't know? Did you say you probably are ADD or ADHD? Yeah, probably. Like, I mean, you probably there might be something more going on with that. So, <laughs> if I'm trying to put a record in a record player, I got to be like juggling at the same time. I got to make it interesting. <laughs> put six on at once and have them all play at the same with, time. With firecrackers going off in the background. Oh, I, I don't man. know. I just got to be all over the place. Or I can't yeah. focus. Yeah, but back to instantly new. That was a that was actually that was actually a really good album. I listened to that one too. Um, I mean, it was typical like lyrics. He definitely has like pretty eclectic eccentric lyrics for the most part. But mm. just a change in sound was kind of refreshing. He was doing something that was like not the norm. And then twenty seventeen is when we get into a kind of a different phase that I like to call. But before that, we are going to take another water break. Yes, mm-hmm. so grab that water. <laughs> And we're back. Yeah. Part three. <laughs> were you waiting on me? Yeah. <laughs> I need some <laughs> vocal confirmation. Like, yeah, we're back. We're back. No, not, not quite yet. I'm back not ready. Back our episode and, about Count Base D. Okay. And we're back. <laughs> and so I, you know, talked to him about his time or loosely about his time from about 2002 to 2016. 2017 is where it gets, inter- it gets interesting because he puts out a single featuring Snoop Dogg. <laughs> And this is this was the strangest thing when I found out about it because I found out about it I found out about it late because mm-hmm. it's like I was kind of out of touch with his music for a while and then when I got on Instagram I was like oh Count Base D let me follow him I like him and then I finally did a song with Snoop Dogg I'm like wait what <laughs> and uh, that's actually I think I had you listen to that song yeah I mean you you, you weren't really a fan of it but no, that's okay <laughs> this is this is gonna be this this. <laughs> This is going to be a little bit of a shocker for some people, I guess, but I don't really much care for Snoop Dogg either. And it's not you know, like, it's not like I shouldn't say it like that. It's not that I don't care for Snoop Dogg is that I, I don't listen to his music. That's all. That's all it you is. You know the funny thing with Snoop Dogg is that not his music is almost secondary to his personality. Mm-hmm. Like him as a celebrity and his personality is That's almost more notable than his music. Like, yeah, but, I like some of his music, but it's like, I've never really like, aside from his first album, I never really sat and listened to like mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg records all day. It's like maybe some guest appearances will do, but like this, like this song I enjoy. But yeah, you know, it's, I think it's just like I think I like him more as just like an individual, yeah. just because he's entertaining. Snoop Dogg as a personality is great. 
Snoop Dogg's music. It, while it is, it is, it is great. Like from an from an objective standpoint, it is great. It sold well. It did amazing things. Not for me. Yeah, but that's just me. But I, I like how the story of how it came together because the way he explains it is uh, he put out a video clip for. There's a little clip you put on Instagram for one of the songs on uh, Instantly New, and then his phone started going off with a bunch of notifications from Instagram, and he's like, "What's going on?" So he checks it, finds out Snoop Dogg uh, reposted it on his page, oh. <laughs> so he shared it to a bunch of people, and he was just getting hundreds of reactions to it, and he was <laughs> like, "What's going on?" So he he said he had cleared out hundreds more notifications, clear that out, bunch of more notifications, and then. Uh, Snoop Dogg ends up contacting him directly, asking to work with him. Mm-hmm. So he ends up making. Can we can we pause for a second and talk about that? Um, that's something I will absolutely never be totally okay with. Is like if if the podcast ever gets to the point where it's 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 on that level, you know, the social media media uh, profiles are getting those that many like reactions or comments or shares. I am not prepared to be like overwhelmed by that if, if, if i ever open my phone one day and it's just a hundred notifications scroll of notifications like that i'm just gonna be like all right and just throw my phone in the corner and leave it there all day you're like <laughs> i'm taking a break from phones <laughs> fuck it's, around and it's, sell like, it. it's like we said if, if jess ever wrote uh, wrote about the podcast on nerdbot and then like we just get tons of listens it's like fifty thousand listens out of nowhere no thanks <laughs> <laughs> the attention just give you mass anxiety <laughs> But, well, I mean, like, just imagine getting notifications and then the person you shared it who's super mm-hmm. famous contacts you. <laughs> That'd be a little surreal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The, yeah. He he ends up uh, actually like on Super Duty Tuffwork where he uh, Blueprint was one of the first people he called about it at like mm-hmm. early in the morning or like late at night or something like that. And he's like, hey, I got to tell you something. And then he <laughs> drops that bomb. You're not going to fucking believe it. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the things that he really, he was really about it because this wasn't like an A&R. It wasn't anybody's manager. Mm-hmm. Snoop himself contacted him through social media and was like, hey, I want to work with you. And so he ends up making some tracks with his um, friend and collaborator, DJ Pocket, and they sent him some stuff. And so he does his stuff and then he sends it back and then he count notices that there's a slot for a verse that's just empty. He thought he was going to go back and record more. So he calls him up like, hey. You know, you know you, you're going to do a second verse. And then he was like, he's like, I noticed his space. He's like, that's for you. <laughs> like, he, like He literally was just like, dude, that's for you. Get on the song. <laughs> and then the best part about it was the way he explained it was Snoop told him when he, uh, cause when he sent the vocals and the stuff over, he said, he's like, we're going to do more work. This one you can have. So Snoop did it for free. No cost. He didn't need anything from it. It wasn't like complicated with business. He's like, here, this is for you to have. And then he ends up putting that out with uh, the B-side um, with the song uh, called No Person's Necessary 2. And then he puts out that single on Flash on Thrashflow on uh, cassette and vinyl and it's mm-hmm. on digital. And yeah, I'm sure that probably got him a lot of listens. You know, people who like Snoop Dogg are like, oh, wait, what's this? Oh, yeah, definitely. But that was that just goes to show the nature of. Almost like humanity that does exist in the industry there are people who will just do things because it's like look this is just fun mm-hmm. or i just want to do this just because i like you as an artist or you have something cool or they just see an opportunity to help somebody like, i mean if, if if snoop's like hey this is for you to work on and for you to have you know and put out there that's obviously snoop being like you can have some of my clout real quick you know i'm just 
You know, I actually, it's funny. I actually saw, um, do you know who Nardwar is? No. He's this weird dude who like, I'm pretty sure he interviews artists, but I'm pretty sure he just bam. He just sort of just gorilla style jumps up at him when they see him in public. Like, Hey, <laughs> cause that's just what it seems like in every video. But, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, at least that's what some of the interviews seem like, but yeah, no, he's a dude. He, uh, he interviews artists all the time and he, um, he was interviewing Snoop Dogg. And then he pulls up the record. He's like, yeah, so I saw you uh, did this single with Count Base D. Like, how'd that happen? And he pretty much was like something effective, like, you know, he's down with the funk, you know, so am I. He's like, you know, people who are down with the funk, you you know, funk finds the way to each other or something like that. And I was like, you know, that kind of makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I think the instantly new stuff was kind of a funkier. It was almost kind of like on Snoop Dogg's wavelength. And he probably noticed that and was like, I need to work with this dude. Yeah. Yeah, I just I don't know. I just I like that it's like someone in his profile who's just like, look, I don't need money for this. He's probably like, I got money. I just wanted to do this. <laughs> I'm loaded. Fuck, I need money for it. He's also um he is also now Count's favorite rapper because of that. Like he doesn't throw like he even says he doesn't throw around favorite or greatest a lot. Mm-hmm. So it, he says if he does, pay attention to what he's talking about. But he said uh basically whoever's down with him, he's down for them. So that's why okay. Snoop, Dog- Snoop Dogg is his favorite rapper because <laughs> he worked with him and was like appreciated him. And that's just how he operates. He's like, mm. it's like, what was it? I think uh, there was one video he did. I think, was it? I think it was like late last year or something. He was doing um, he was playing piano and he was doing a verse from the Tupac song. I get around, but he was it was almost like a lounge style performance. And then Tyler, the creator, posted a video of him trying to like he was he he was teaching himself the chords and voicings he was using on there and then he tagged count in it and then it went viral and then it, once again it was an instance where it was like oh bunch of notifications on his phone he's mm-hmm. like yep tyler creator is much higher on my list than he than he already was at that point mm-hmm. that's not a bad mentality to have i mean you can't really be out here down for people that don't even know you exist yeah yeah that's just uh I don't know. There's just something about him as a person that I like too. just the way he operates and the way he just kind of he's a very humble individual. He's very energetic from what I've seen. And yeah, I, he's, I like that. He's got a personality. It's 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 like uh, it, it, at least when I interact with people, it complements like my general MO because I don't have a lot of energy. I'm just vi- like very chill. So I, I like to let them take all that energy and kind of like take the reins of whatever we're doing so that I can just kind of like vibe just vibe out yeah <laughs> yeah i think is uh he also knows how to, he, he's also really good at telling stories like anytime he tell anytime i hear him in a video interview it's just mm-hmm. it's always very well told i'm like man this dude needs to write a, a memoir hey i think he's actually i think he's actually trying to get one together because he said he wants to do one like towards the end of his life but he mm-hmm. says he might have to start putting together one now because like he's 46 years old like he's lived quite a life and career mm-hmm. i don't know I'd buy, I'd, I'd buy that book definitely definitely very interesting i asked him once uh who would you pick to play you in a movie he said andre 3000 <laughs> i fucking knew it i knew it uh, oh i, I his, said it while we were watching I also, thing. I also like his style nowadays because it's like he's, he's he's he says he's had just about every hairstyle you could imagine for his hair mm-hmm. but then he's got this like kind of like pimp thing going on where he's got it relaxed and, <laughs> and stuff like that and cat williams <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's got really nice hair mm-hmm. and no gray in sight. <laughs> yep. Oh, have man. that for days to come. Yeah, and it's, you know, just the way he interacts 
just the, how appreciative he's his fan, he is with his fan base is that's the thing that really gets me because it's like you know there's a lot of people who say they appreciate their fans but he's he does it in a way that most people don't mm-hmm. like honestly for his new record uh cbd I pre-ordered the vinyl. He sent everybody a postcard. Nice. Yeah, it, he wrote my name at the top, and it says, thank you for your purchase. Your order of CBD on vinyl is scheduled to ship in May. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the digital version of the album. Thanks always for the support. And then he writes, uh, stay safe, CBD. And I was like, this means a lot to me. I've I've never had an artist send me a postcard after the fact of an order. Just like, hey, thanks for the support. Mm-hmm. These cost money. The fact yeah, that he's pouring money into <laughs> As much as I hate to say it because it's kind of like anti-critical or it's anti-success, but like I, I hope people like this don't blow up too massive to the point where they can't have that level of interaction with their fans. And I think that's the thing with with Count is like he's been around long enough to where it's like, you know, he can he can do this for the rest of his life. Mm. He's not going to be massive, but that does that's fine. Massive ain't the goal. Right. I mean, he's got the longevity. He's been... He's been, he says he's been in stores for 25 years. All his music isn't in stores anymore, but his first album was in stores 25 years ago. He's celebrating his 25th anniversary this year. I think it's towards like the end of the year, like September or something like that. And there ain't nothing with doing, doing what you love and just keeping at it. You know? Yeah. You, you ain't got to be the richest man on earth. You just got to live your life happy knowing you did what you came here to do. Right. And then, you know, after that single, uh, 2019, towards the end, I think it was November, he puts out a... Uh, this instrumental project edibles, which is just instrumental. It's like, a, it's just a beat tape, really interesting stuff. He's got samples from everywhere. He even, he's got a, um, there's, <laughs> there's one song where, uh, the intro intro is a snippet from a Dave Chappelle joke. Which one <laughs> do you remember it off the top? Of it's, your head? it's, I don't think it, I'll have to play it for you because it's not, it's not like one of his typical ones, but yeah, no, it's just got a lot of interesting stuff. And then, um, early 2020, he puts out edibles too. So he puts in another beat tape, both released on a limited edition cassette, which I bought because I want to support the art. Mm-hmm. And then he drops CBD, his 10th studio album with vocals, no guest producers and no guest artists, just him and his shortest album to date. It is only 20 minutes long. Yeah, that was that was surprising. Like, cause you had you had primed me beforehand, telling me like, "Hey, this album that I'm gonna have you listen to isn't isn't very long," and I had forgotten that by the time I got I got around to listening to it. And like, I started track one, and I started like listening to it while I was doing like some other stuff that I was working on. And then before I know it, it had like auto auto played past it and into somebody else's music. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is over already? Like, like I, got barely on, got started. Like, I gotta listen to it again. <laughs> I just started it over. <laughs> Yeah, it's a well, I kind of did that on purpose because I was like, I could have you start from the beginning, but I know you're not going to rip through 10 regular albums, let alone the rest Mm. of his discography. So I was like, I'll give you the single and I'll give you this album because the new album operates like a playlist, but it's small enough to where it's like you have to you have to listen to the entire thing to get it. Mm -hmm. And um, which, again, another instance, you know, definitely you weren't into it, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the uh, the final track on the album, I really appreciated the instrumentals in that one. Like, oh, I mean, that's, that's a cool one. That's yeah. kind of that's kind of on key with like who I am. Those like I don't listen to anybody's full album. I pick and choose a couple a uh, couple songs from it. I'm like, this is what I'm about. You know, I like this. I mean, he actually made it that short because of an attention span thing of the culture right now. Mm-hmm. It's like he's like, I want to make a full album that's super short because it's like that'll hit everybody like perfectly because it's like, oh, people don't like long things anymore anyway. Like, oh, 20 minute album. Here you go. Hey, man, you got to shrink it up a little bit more. Whole album. I three also, minutes. Li- I also <laughs> like it because it's like 
it's like count at his best really quirky obscure samples mm. um the guy's hilarious like there are just certain lines where i'm just like dude you should have been a comedian like he's very entertaining he tries to be funny he uh you know definitely uh like one of the funniest things he has an interlude um where the lyrics are uh <laughs> uh keep your eyes on her nose bone no matter how how uh much her whole chest shows and i was mm. like and it's just literally just that for like 20 seconds and i'm just like wow <laughs> keep a look at her eyes boys <laughs> <laughs> oh you know what's funny is that's on that's on like uh it's on theme for the current like joke amongst like the the culture right now at least in my in my group of friends you know it's the whole uh what is it don't 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 fall for the like the the quotes thoughts you know you know it's like they have this whole thing about like ah oh, don't fall for that and uh stay independent and strong king all that stuff that's floating around <laughs> oh yeah so it's like <laughs> it's like the meme that's floating around like it's like don't look at this tits are temporary glory is eternal or some shit like that and it relates to whatever whatever concept it is so like the whole keep your eyes on the nose bone thing that's where i when as soon as i saw the title for that track that's where my mind went <laughs> <laughs> it just spiraled off into you all this all this comedy about <laughs> about remaining like celibate. <laughs> I was like, wow. Almost, almost unintentionally being like, you should all be in cells. <laughs> this, this man had his uh his uh his hand or finger on the, the pulse of that uh that era. He wrote that song. Oh uh, yeah, there's a, just, just a bunch of jokes at him making fun of certain like types of dudes and i'm just mm. like man i wonder if people are gonna like catch this and get offended or <laughs> they're just, just gonna go over their heads like people who just aren't aware or don't think they fit in these certain categories but no i listened to it and that was one of the things that struck me because i was like 20 minutes i could listen to this album like four times mm-hmm. you almost have to because it happens so fast you're like wait what so, when does a song start and when does it end yeah there was some like almost completely seamless transitions towards the beginning of the album where i, I I look back and I was four tracks deeper, you know, I was like the, the first song ends. Like I wasn't aware of it until I was like three songs deep. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. It's, it, it sort of catches you. Mm-hmm. on like, a you have, you almost have to pay attention. Like, wait, did a song change or is this just a transition mm-hmm. in the song? The whole album's just one song. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm just curious as to what he puts out next already. I mean, as much as I love this one, it's, he's one of those artists. I'm like, okay, just keep putting them out. Like, yo, he puts out, put out three projects in six months. I asked him if he was going to do edibles three and you said, there's no plans for it, but <laughs> you know, might happen. I hope it does. It'll happen. Also, it's, I think it's like the thing I like about artists being able to do this in their forties and even in their fifties and some people in their six, like Chuck D from public enemy. He's, I think he's 60 now. No, I take that back. He, I think he turned 60 this year. If he hasn't already. Mm-hmm. And still successful still doing it like i'm like counting his 40s is great it's like i wonder what counting his 50s is gonna be like probably more eccentric maybe who knows <laughs> well i think it depends it's like he's in um he's really big on sample like he, he said his thing he wants to be remembered for is his work with sample like sampling in the drum machine sampling drum machine because he uses the mpc 1000 right now and it's like mm-hmm. that's his main tool it's just all samples he might play some stuff on top of it, you know. I mean, he does he does learn other things, but that that's his primary tool and has been for a little while. And he said that that's what he's mastering right now. And and one of the things I also like is he said that coming from a background playing keys and learning music helps 
him approach other things with that mentality. And it almost makes his music better. It's like you, you apply, it's like he applies how he plays the piano to programming a drum machine or his musicality from learning traditional things to like, okay, how do I translate that into this? It's interesting. It's like, it's like he was saying in uh, the super duty tough work interview about how, you know, he's worked with like Victor Wooten and he didn't, you know, or anybody he collaborates with. It's like, they don't, they don't come to him for his musicality. They come from for the hip hop, but he can connect with them on that level musically because he understands what's going on. Okay. You know, I can I, see how that'd be beneficial. Yeah. I mean, it, it always helps to be able to speak the language, even if it's like, you're not there for that specific thing. Mm-hmm. That's why, that's why I think it's important. I always found it important for me to like learn everything I can because I can, I, I'll be able to speak the language. Like, you know, if I were ever to delegate, mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. I can speak the language and be like, Oh, Hey, yeah do this this makes sense or i like that you did this there but that just goes into my whole faceless mentality which i I think i think makes this i think that's what makes this podcast work it's like i i do all this deep diving with certain technical things Mm -hmm. you just gotta bring the personality that's what i am (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's like uh back to the snoop dog thing it's like you're snoop dog musically i'm snoop dog in the limelight (laughs) just i'm the snoop dog that uh (laughs) Bakes with Martha Stewart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I just, I just, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to be like Count. That's what I want to be. Mm. I want a career like his that can do it forever. It's always be good. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves it. And it just, he, and he also understands his fan base. Like it's he knows a goal to aspire to. The whole and longevity. Oh yeah, no, he's by far one of my favorite artists. If not my favorite artist currently, mm-hmm. like, there's just something about him. Like I want to, I want to meet him one day. Like just, I don't even have to work with him. Like as much as I would love to work with him. It's like, I don't even have to work with him. I want to, I want to have dinner with him and have a conversation. Not even about music. <laughs> just, just talk to him. I just want to be friends with him. That's it. You, you want to have dinner with Count Basie? Do you want to yes. arrange a romantic evening in the park? No. <laughs> <laughs> don't make it that. <laughs> no, I just want to, you know, just, Hey man, that's not on me, dude. You're the one that's been gushing over him for an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, there's nothing homoerotic about this. <laughs> Sorry, Colin Base D. He's married. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I just think it's like, I think, I think I just, I, I could get to a point where it's like I could someone I, I, that I he's someone I could hang around because, like mm. he says, it's like like the way he works with people. It's like you know, you almost have to be it almost has to make sense. Like it almost has to be meant to be. Cause it's like, you know, like he doesn't work with people that often. And when he does, it's like, it's certain situations. It's not like he's, you know, he's not the type to work for money. I mean, he does this for money, but he's not going to quote unquote sell, sell out. out. Okay. Yeah. He's not going to sell out. I mean, he's, he's just too, he's too dedicated to his own craft to sell out. Like, way too fucking late to sell out at this point. <clears throat> 25 years in the game. Hmm. You're invested. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason to sell out. I mean, if you're still living off of this, mm. I mean, he also lives very, he lives very modestly. He doesn't spend a lot of money. That's one thing I will always, always appreciate and adore in people who like find any type of real success when they're like, oh, I got all this, but I'm still just going to like live the way that I was living or the way that I like. Well, to live. it's not even, it's like, it's like, he's, he's not an artist that's ever had excess either. Mm. Like, I mean, it's like he, he makes, he makes his money, but it's the way 
he manages money that he's able to actually live off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't spend his money on wild things. Like, you know, he lives alone, just works on music. Yeah. You know, doesn't eat out a lot. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> just, it's like, it's not a, it's not a lavish lifestyle. You know, he's just kind of, it's just kind of normal. You know, that's, that's all I'm trying to say. It's like, I mean, you yeah. find any type of commercial success and, and you, and you maintain a normal lifestyle instead of just like diving into that whole, the whole, uh, wealthy, uh, chic, then like, I appreciate that. Yeah. Keeps you relatable. It does keep you relatable, <laughs> especially it's like, you know, it's, it's at the point where it's like, is that it's not necessary. I mean, that, that kind of, those kind of desires really aren't productive. It's not even just productive. It's like, it's almost like tangible there there it's Realistic. getting lost it's getting lost in our generation like oh mu- as much as people want to be there's a lot of people who want to be famous but most of us just want to just like hey i just don't want to suffer yep <laughs> i don't want to struggle that's the base of it if, that's I, what I'm if saying. I don't have if, if i'm clearing good in that i'm good so like, that's why i'm saying like i appreciate people who when, when i say like i appreciate people who achieve commercial success and then they only live like this normal modest life it creates a more approachable goal for the younger population you know it's, it's like I'm, you're gonna look up and see count base d live like a normal fucking human being not some ridiculously expensive or ridiculously lavish superstar that's blowing millions on dumb shit and private jets it's, uh, that shit's unattainable Dude lives in pennsylvania right now right that's what, <laughs> so he's like he's like setting a standard and image of goals that are, are like he's somebody that people can look up to and realize you know like hey maybe i shouldn't aspire to be all this ridiculous crap you know maybe i should just aspire to not have a shit fucking life yeah i mean that's you know I can live comfortably and do what I want to do. I'm good. Mm. I don't need excess. I mean, you know, I like a, a nice ish house, but I don't need mm. a mansion. Right. You know, what was that thing? Uh, <laughs> oh, there was some article that said, um, baby boomers built their dream houses and now there's no one to buy them because they're <laughs> too expensive or something mm. like that. Cause it's like just massive houses for no reason. Do you need eight rooms? No. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you're gonna have to sell that house awful fucking cheap because ain't nobody gonna want it yeah i it's mean there's celebrities that have to that like undersell their houses because mm-hmm. it's just too much like why'd you build that massive mansion no one wants it nobody's no gonna nobody's it. trying to buy it after you've lived in it you know nobody needs a house that opulent a palace like that i also hate when they uh because oftentimes they <clears throat> they throw the term um Real estate mogul to just rich people who just buy a bunch of places. Like, mm-hmm. No, you're not a real estate mogul. You own what? You own a few houses around the country. Are, yeah. are those bringing in revenue? No, they're just sitting until you feel like going there for yeah. a weekend. You're not a real estate mogul. You're just greedy. Yeah. <laughs> in vain. I need to have this big dumb fucking house. Like no. Yeah. What are you all, doing all, all that count. space? All count needs is music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably has like a, a a pretty normal modest home with like a studio in it. That's about it. That's all I can imagine. I mean, he doesn't. And he doesn't. I mean, his his setup's very minimal. That's I mean, what I'm it's saying. Just like, like, it's it's. I'm I'm assuming it's probably just on his laptop with a microphone. Got the drum machine, records, mm-hmm. and a, a controller, keyboard. Get, like, disturbed. That's it. <clears throat> yeah, and he, lives on, he lives on his own anyway. So it's like there's he just do does music. He posts pictures. You know, he does little Instagram videos of him just like walking about walking around town mm-hmm. maybe on a hiking trail or something like that yeah i don't know he's he's like a, i don't know he's he's one of those people it's like i encourage people be like this guy there's a reason he's successful and it's for the right reasons and it's what he's doing with that success yeah and i, I think i think he's only gonna get bigger 
to be honest, with his with his biggest, he's gotten. I think he's only going to get bigger. Oh, it's, I think there's other opportunities too because one of his songs is uh um used in uh one of his songs found his way to TikTok. Interesting. It's this one. It's this one thing. Uh, it's a TikTok. Uh, it's like this filter thing. It ages you. Okay. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's one of ages them, and it's like uh, I think it's uh, it has some lyrics about being old or something like that, mm-hmm. and it ages you like for like 60 years and just makes it what you quote unquote look like in like 50 years from now or something mm-hmm. like that. But uh, yeah, it's like, it's kind of funny. It's like his music made it to TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> he can officially be found as, Hey, that's that one song from TikTok, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, any way you can get mm-hmm. there, there are so many avenues to get bigger. And it's like we said, it's like, he's almost built for it. He's he's almost like carved a niche for him that's perfect for the internet age before the internet really took off. It's like he had the foresight without even realizing it. Now he's mm-hmm. taking advantage of it because it's like you know he's he's pretty much just putting out records right now. He put out the new one, selling CDs, vinyl. He put out the two cassettes, and from there it's uh he wants he's been wanting to plan a tour for this year, but the coronavirus thing happened, so yep. that's probably not happening. Pretty much shut everybody down. I mean, a bunch of people are saying like, hey, are you going to come to this country, this country? He's like, I'd love to go to that country I mean, if it's, if it's in the cards. And he's like, well, I've, I've been reached out to people by there, so we'll have to see what happens. And then, you know, this happens. So it's like, oh, I guess no one's touring right now, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because I, I, I like my my dream was he would come to Grand Rapids. <laughs> <laughs> then again, I was like when anybody comes to Grand Rapids, like when Aesop Rock came to Grand Rapids, I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> they got to come to the right place, though. I just want to uh, any show. I just want to be the pyramid scheme. Yeah, I don't. I don't really like it when it's those gigantic shows. I, I kind of like. I've gone to a couple big shows that mattered to me, but beyond that, every time I get invited, anytime I go to a giant show, especially ones where they're in like giant arenas where like you're in the in the seating areas where it's like an actual fucking. Oh, I just refuse to go to those. Yeah, shows. I don't like, like those. That's it's not. It's, it's too big. I don't like being out here. There's too many people packed in such a such a small. I don't small understand area. why people cherish that experience of sitting in a stand when you could just watch it later on YouTube. Yeah, it's like I'd rather be in a smaller area. That's that's how I felt about it when like I went and saw. Uh, was it uh, Blink One Eighty Two? I think yeah, it was Blink. And and like I was like, this is kind of cool and all that, but like I'm gonna go get a bunch of beer now and just <laughs> enhance my experience. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we start wrapping up the episode. So, mm-hmm. in other words, give Count Base D a spin. Mm-hmm. Might not be your thing, but just. Maybe, maybe, maybe give it a try. It's not my thing, and I still recommend it. Yeah, I mean, who knows? You, might, I mean, there's enough. You might find a couple songs you like eventually. Mm-hmm. You just have to like throw them on every once in a while. I mean, that's how you operate anyway. It's like you you prefer singles anyway. I'm yep. sure there's prefer sure. singles. I prefer like a streaming playlist with like all wacky different types of music in it. Like, see, that's why like one of these issues you just gotta like like find find like uh just artist page, just hit shuffle. <laughs> You'll just get all this crazy stuff. It'll be like something new each time. Mm-hmm. You want? I mean, then you won't even have to know if it's an album or not, or if I, it's a song. I think it's because I think I think I partly developed the that mentality when it comes to music because obviously I grew up poor, but like radio was my exposure to music. Oh, that so, makes you know, sense. It's never the same artist back to back to back to back. Of course, there's like a loop that they go through like every couple of hours, but like it was like 
one song and then the next song is entirely different and the next song is entirely different. And then when you don't have control of uh, over the music in the car because somebody else is driving, and it's <laughs> right. like, we're changing the station. Okay. We're flipping the fucking genre after that song. It's like, <laughs> you know, the funny thing is like, I got into albums when I started like getting, when I started like actually buying CDs. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like most of the time, the singles weren't even the best song on the album. And I'd find songs that I liked more on the albums. And I was like, wait, hold on. Like I would buy it for that single and listen mm-hmm. like, wait, this other song's pretty fire. Why wasn't this on the radio? That's how radio works. I, I, I want to know what defines exactly how, like, like how is a, a single chosen on an album, you know, like prior to it being released? <sighs> probably based on like what's current like in in like what respect though uh because like if like if you create an album and you're like this is my single but you know it's your single before it's out there for anybody to be like that's the best song that should be the single i feel like single should be chosen after the fact well it's it's because it's it's what they think will it's it's almost like they do i don't know they don't really do tests like Mm -hmm. there's no like screen test for music but it's it's usually just a matter of opinion. It's chance, really. Mm. They're like this. People people will hear it and be like, this sounds like a single mm. in their perception, at least from the company standpoint. And then they put it out. It's like something made to be promotional. Like what's mm. what's catchy? What will because, you know, oftentimes it's like the catchiest song won't be the best song, but it's also the it's what's the most di- easy digestible. It's the song that's going to hook the most people. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So, yeah, that's our episode about Count Base D. Definitely one of my favorite artists. If you're listening, Count, we'd love to have you on the show eventually. Hopefully. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> We're too, he's too big for us. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a pretty cramped little room here. <laughs> yeah. We could do video chat. <laughs> yeah. Or get that oh, mobile. I have a feeling. See, because I post this, I'm going to tag him in it. It's like, I have this feeling. It's like, he might listen to it. <laughs> he probably will. That'd be amazing. Uh, but yeah. It's, that's uh, the episode for today. Yep. And, and my coronation is today, so I'm trying to enjoy it. Next week's episode is going to be a really fun episode because <laughs> it's going to be an episode about John Wick. <laughs> uh, 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 a moment of silence for our fallen brother as he becomes essential. <laughs> yes. Takes a pay cut. But yeah, but yeah, as, uh, as I just said, we're doing an episode about John Wick. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen the John Wick movies, so we're going to just watch them all and then talk about them. All three. <laughs> Just because we thought that'd be a fun idea. I don't know if I want to watch them over the course of days or watch them all in one go. Watch them all Saturday. <laughs> Might have to. <laughs> oh, well, that's the show for today. We're signing out. And as always, stay hustling and stay hydrated. Peace. <laughs>